Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, an extra hour of, of sleep um, last night. Dave said that because it's daylight savings, I get an extra hour to, to preach this morning. So, so buckle up, right? <laughs> um, well, this is a great privilege and, and honor to, um, to be able to, to join you this way and in bringing the Word of God. Well, I recently re-watched some of The Hunger Games, and if you're familiar with the book or the movie, it takes place in a future world where the fictional nation of Pan Am is divided into 12 districts. And each year, the capital city requires each district to send two people to compete in gladiatorial-style games. And the story follows Katniss and Peeta, who are two selected from District 12, who end up leading a rebellion against the capital city. And in the final movie, Peeta reunites with Katniss. And, but, but he's been brainwashed by the capital. And he's unsure of what's true anymore. He has a series of exchanges where he's trying to recover his identity. And he says, I, I just can't tell what's real and what's made up anymore. And he would state something that he remembers like, orange is my favorite color, or my mother was a baker, and then ask, real or not real? How do I know? What's true? Well, I think the question is much the same among the recipients of 1 John. Imagine with me a church that's been rocked by heresy and false teachers, people that they know and trust, but now they've become a community torn apart from the inside out. And those that remain are asking, how do I know what's true anymore? John, if, if they're saying God lives in them, but their message has been exposed as a lie, how, how do I know God lives in me? How can I be assured of God's presence in my life? I think this is the central question that John is attempting to answer in our passage today. How do I know God lives in me? And in response, John writes a note of encouragement, and he tells his listeners two things. You know God lives in you because of what he's done for you. And you know God lives in you because of what he's doing in you and through you. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And it will be up on the screen this morning. As we read the text this morning, it's important for us to remember that this is an encouragement, not an indictment. I've often read 1 John as a series of boxes to check, if I'm honest. And that's hard to resist because of John's style. But we must keep in mind that John speaks directly and clearly to a people who are battered by the truth claims of those around them. They need this level of clarity, and there are times when we do too. John is bringing them back to the basic truths of the gospel. Not to condemn them, 
not to wag his finger and say, look where you're failing. No, he preaches to the beloved. Dear friends, is what he says, a message of God's truth. He says, look at what God has done for you. Look at what God is doing in and through you. This is how you know that God lives in you and loves you. So let's turn now to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 19. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Father, we ask that you would minister to our hearts as we read your word, as we hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, that you would speak through me to the hearts of your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I were to build you a patio, and this comes from my wisdom and years as a landscaper, I would tell you that the most important part of the patio is what you don't see. It's the 12 to 15 inches of compacted stone below the surface. It's the foundation. There's often more work that goes into digging out and preparing the foundation than constructing the final layer of the patio itself. With a solid foundation, you'll have a patio that will last for your great-great-grandchildren. But if you don't have the proper foundation, your patio will end up 
shifting, buckling, sinking over time. Your chairs and table won't sit flat, and you might have difficulty walking on it. Well, in this passage, John lays a compelling foundation for our understanding love of love. And he tells us where love originates. John says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Full stop. This is the base layer of our patio. I believe this is one of the most foundational truths that we need to hear and be reminded of today. Everywhere we're bombarded by the message that I define what love is. That love comes from within me and is defined by me. That if you're not doing what I want or giving me what I want, then you're not loving me. Everywhere we're confronted with the secular creed that love is love, the heart of which says, I define what love is. Karen Jobes, who's a professor at uh, Wheaton College, Bible professor, she writes, poets write about it, singers sing about it, greeting cards convey the sentiment of love, but our world is full of wacky, irresponsible, and even perverse definitions of love that are used to rationalize selfishness, manipulate others, and even give evil free reign in the name of love. Have we forgotten the simple but profound truth that love comes from God? That as creator, God defines what love is. 1 John tells us that true love originates with God himself. And our love for one another must be built on that foundation. So let's go deeper. Love comes from God, but how does God define love? Well, I like to think of John as the apostle of the one-liners. He comes out with quite a few short, pithy, meaningful, memorable statements that are packed full of gospel truth. And our passage for today is, is no exception. And in verse 9 and 10, John builds upon the foundation that love comes from God. And he further defines love. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love is most clearly expressed in the incarnation, the sending of Jesus, and the sacrifice of Jesus, his atoning work on the cross. By saying that Jesus is the atoning, our atoning sacrifice, John is pulling us back to the Old Testament day of atonement, the holiest day on the Hebrew calendar, where the high priest offers a sacrifice of forgiveness for forgiveness and purification of the people. This love from the Father is a self-giving love that is laser-focused on our sin and our need for redemption. So if you've walked into the church this morning and you're wondering what the good news is, it doesn't get any clearer than this. Let there be no question 
God is in pursuit of you. God loves you. We are broken, sinful people who are in need, who are separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus Christ has come down in the flesh, and he has died for you and risen for you. And just as John says in verse 15, if you confess Jesus as the Son of God, God lives in you and you in God. So the love that John defines in his letter is an others-focused, self-giving love embodied for us in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And as believers, that is the sure foundation of our love and the starting point of our love for others. So how do I know God lives in me? John says, look at what he's done for you. I know that he lives in me because of what God has done for me. He loves me. He sent his son Jesus to die for me. Secondly, you know God lives in you because of what he's doing in and through you. Our love for others originates from God's love for us. Our love for one another is to be patterned off of God's love for us. John says in verse 11, Dear friends, beloved, if God loved us like this, we also ought to love one another. I want us to imagine a rotary or a roundabout. And I know we don't have many rotaries here in Vermont. And by the way, that tiny little one over by Old Navy isn't a real rotary. Um, I'm talking about one that you might find on Route 1 going into Boston. Lots of cars weaving in and out. Everybody headed around in the same direction. Well, this is the traffic circle of John, 1 John chapter 4. And we hop on here with the foundational truths that we've already discussed, that love comes from God. God loves me. Well, how do I know? I know because he sent his son and he gave us his spirit. And what does this mean? It means that we live in him and he in us. Just like Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, if, if some of you know that verse, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but he lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we make our way around the circle here, we know and rely on the love God has for us. This is something God causes in and, and grows in us. We think back to the promise of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. God says, I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees. And it's no coincidence that the first fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 is love, right? As we abide in Christ, his Spirit causes us to bear the fruit of love. This is why a love anchored in his self-giving love flows out to others. And as, as John says at the end of this passage we read, 
This love matures and grows in me until it is made perfect and complete. So as we, as we look at this, we can see that the first half of this is what God has done for me. That love comes from him. He has sent his son and he gave us his spirit. And we live in him and he in us. And the second half is what God is doing in and through me. He is causing me to rely on his love and grow his love in me. And this love overflows toward others and matures in me until it is complete. But here's the challenge. Unlike the rotary you might encounter on Route 1 in Boston, we can't jump on this rotary wherever we please. This is a rotary with only one true on-ramp. And that on-ramp is always the initiating love of God toward us. As verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. When we try and jump on the rotary over here, (laughs) we're attempting to love out of our own strength and trying to give what we haven't received. Our love for others is grounded and built from the love that comes from God through Jesus Christ. God loves me with a supernatural, self-giving, others-focused love. And only when I trust in him and rely on this love can I love others with the same supernatural, self-giving, others-focused love. And as my understanding and the depth of his love for me grows, my ability to love others grows with it as well. Let me tell you, I fail at this every day. In conversations where I only talk about myself and forget to ask someone else how they are. Or in days where I am worn out and I don't want to get up and clean up the mess that someone else has made in my household. Or in avoiding someone because I just don't have the capacity to listen. It's only when I rely on the love that comes from God that I can love my wife and my kids well. Only when I surrender to the work of God's love can I love those around me well. And for me, it happens often in small and convicting ways, sometimes accompanied with confession. So I want to share two quick examples this morning, one from church history and one from my own life, that will hopefully illustrate this rotary of love. And what summarized so well for us in verse 19, that we love because he first loved us. And then we'll end with two applications. Eusebius was the bishop of Caesarea in the fourth century. And he's sometimes referred to as the father of church history. He writes with chilling detail about the effects of a famine an epidemic that swept through, likely swept through this same region of the empire that he was serving in Caesarea in A.D. 312. And within that, he records the Christian response to this epidemic. He writes, For they alone, the Christians, in the midst of such ills, 
showed their sympathy and humanity by their deeds. Every day, some continued caring for and burying the dead, for there were multitudes who had no one to care for them. Others collected in one place those who were afflicted by the famine throughout the entire city and gave bread to them all, so that the thing became reported abroad among all men, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Well, there are many such examples from early church history that detail how believers cared for the sick and buried the dead, usually because of a plague that had swept through a portion of the Roman Empire. In fact, many early churches gained legal status as burial clubs. Now, it's important that we resist idealizing the early church. But we can take this as an encouraging example of the Father's self-giving love overflowing to others among those in the early church. And this is evidence of the work of the Spirit in the early church, the same Spirit that lives in us. Well, I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me the other week. The other week I was driving out of Walmart and I saw a woman holding a sign that read, I lost my job, I have three kids, currently don't have a place to live, anything helps. And I'm sure that many of us have been in a similar situation. And I felt my usual sense of suspicion. I tried to avoid eye contact and I drove on. And as I drove down the road, I remembered that I was teaching the middle schoolers about the Good Samaritan the next day. <laughs> I felt convicted and I felt uncomfortable. And I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And in that moment, I felt the Lord was inviting me to participate in something that he was doing. And he brought to mind that I had a gift card with me. And so I turned around and I got out of the car and I struck up a short conversation with her to hear her story. Her name was Maria. And to dignify her as a fellow image bearer of God. And I said, I want you to know that God loves you. And I initially drove by. But he is the one who told me to turn around. Now, I don't share this with you to think, oh, Pastor Pete did such a great thing. If you're thinking that, that's not the point. But I do share it to be vulnerable about the work going on in my heart in that moment, the shaping of my love by his love. See, the Pete, apart from Jesus, is skeptical of the person on the side of the road. The Pete, apart from Jesus, thinks that everyone is out to rip me off, <laughs> and I better keep my pocketbook close. 
And that old Pete still rears his ugly head. (laughs) But it was Jesus in me that caused me to turn around. It was Jesus in me that gave me compassion where I lacked it. Left to myself, I don't do these things. So please hear me. The evidence of God in me wasn't so much what I did outwardly, but it was the indirect, the, it was the redirecting, the inward redirecting of my heart, the molding of my affections to his. Are you seeing where God is causing you to love those around you with a self-giving, others-focused love? As he does this, this is evidence of God in you. So how do I know God lives in me? Because of what he has done for me. Because of what he is doing in me. And as God's love overflows in us toward others, he is perfecting, he is maturing, he is completing that love in us. In other words, as we see God at work in us and in one another, that gives us confidence of our standing before God. Gary Burge in the Life Application Commentary says, experiencing and expressing the love of God so powerfully, knowing unequivocally that God God in spirit resides in our lives, results in unbounded confidence as we approach the day when we meet God. This is how we know that God lives in us, in what he's done for us, and in what he's doing in and through us. So two final applications this week. One, never grow tired of celebrating the reality that love comes from God. This is the first half of our rotary. (laughs) This is the foundation of our love for one another. We must never become tired of reminding one another of how great the Father's love is and of all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So observe this week. When and how do you experience the love of God? Is it in a quiet moment as you sit in the Word? Is it in the car, listening to, worshiping along with a particular song? Is it in fellowship with another believer? Second, the very lifeblood of our love for one another is the self-giving, others-focused love of Jesus Christ for us. We love because he first loved us. This is the second half of our rotary of love, if you will. And so a challenge to you this week. When do you feel like you're at the end of your capacity to love others? Maybe that's a moment when you're angry with a family member or irritated by a coworker, or feeling compassion fatigue toward your spouse or frustration at your kids. How will you invite Jesus to help you rely on his love? 
The Lord is slow to anger and abounding, abounding in steadfast love. Will we invite his love into our hearts?